This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And today I am joined by Andrew Lipsman. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, Kiri. It's great to be back on the show. So Andrew is a principal analyst at Insider Intelligence, focusing on retail and e-commerce. His recent coverage includes grocery e-commerce, retail media networks, D2C brands, social commerce, holiday shopping, and Amazon Prime Day. Previously, Andrew was SVP of Marketing and Insights at Comscore. He has been a regular contributor to the Journal of Advertising Research and is frequently quoted by leading news organizations, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Advertising Age. And of course, e-commerce brain trust podcast returning guest. Love having you on, Andrew, because you're constantly working on really pertinent research papers for the retail industry. And your most recent report is called The Digital Shelf for CPG Brands 2023. So let's start there with, you know, what spurred your interest in this topic in particular? What was the need that you were seeing that prompted you to put this paper together for insider intelligence? Yeah, I think it begins with my general interest in retail media networks. I've been covering that topic really deeply over the past couple of years, but what kept kind of bubbling up for me is that, you know, the CPG and grocery component to it is very unique. I also talked to a a lot of smart people like yourself, Todd Hassenfeld, Russ Derringer, right? They know the CPG space inside and out. And every time I talked to them, I just felt like I was always learning something new. And there are all these interesting tricks of the trade and, you know, unique dynamics in this kind of complex, fast moving space. And I just, I came to realize that there's so much leverage on this digital shelf and so much value that CPG brands are trying to grasp at and then use that as a lever for growth. So really a lot of times I start a project based on me wanting to know more and to get deeper. Like I come in with maybe a high level 30,000 foot view understanding of what's going on, a, a general intuition, but how I learn what's really going on is by going deep and talking to people like you. So this was, sorry, I have to correct what I said. It was the digital shelf for CPG brands 2022. And so what is it about CPG brands that is unique compared to other categories? Why do you decide to focus on this segment? Well, it starts off, it's obviously a massive industry, right? Grocery is a $1.4 trillion industry. And then the dynamics that make it unique, especially in selling through e-commerce channels, is that it's both high volume and low margin. So, you know, there's all these dynamics around being profitable. How do you actually drive sales growth on something that is pretty underpenetrated category, right? It's only about 5% penetration in food and beverage and about 10% penetration in e-commerce for grocery overall. So the dynamics are very unique, but there's a lot of data too. I love data. And when you have sales of a lot of different goods for a lot of different brands, that also makes for interesting research. I also think that as I think about the future of retail media, it all really goes through, passes through what's happening in CPG world. 
I think that, you know, the three next big phases of growth for this industry are going to be one, the shift into upper funnel ad units and particularly into streaming TV that, you know, plays right into how consumer brands have traditionally advertised. The second one is the impact that bringing in offline attribution data will have on the space. That offline data, that other 90% of sales and grocery that's happening in store, that starts to really change the whole equation for understanding performance. And then the third one is, it's very nascent, but the rise of in-store retail media. That's kind of the next new media channel. And so as I think about all of those, the, the center of gravity there is CPG. So yes. if I'm going to cover retail media correctly, in, in terms of where I think it's going, I need to start here. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And also, it seems like if you're a CPG brand, the number of retail customers that you have might be larger than an apparel brand or an elect- consumer electronics or something like that. These CPG brands who are at scale, at least, would have you know, more than 10 different retail customers that they're working with, all with their hands out asking for retail media dollars. So sort of in terms of complexity and how to divide up the pie between all of those different retail customers, probably one of the more complex. So much more complex. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we could, could we touch on each of those three that you mentioned briefly? So streaming TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, so there's a few big things happening in the industry today. The first one, which is very timely, is Amazon has exclusive rights to NFL Thursday Night Football. So now we have the full weight of the Amazon advertising apparatus being put against highly rated TV advertising, right? Never before have these consumer brands, large CPG brands, been able to deliver ads in this environment and then also close the loop to sales. I see that being transformative. I actually think of September 15th as maybe like the great before and after of retail media. I think everything changes from this moment on once advertisers start to realize what's happening here. Yeah. And you have a great podcast that you contribute to called Reimagining Retail. And I learned so much listening to your show talking about what Thursday Night Football will, what kind of effect it will have for Amazon. But also like I think about I'm on the advertising side, the pool, the data, the richness of their consumer data is going to be really elevated through this because Amazon's going to be able to see so much more activity from prime video users through this, the Thursday night football. And then there's also the Lord of the Rings franchise, but yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. And then the placements, I think that's another, the flip side of the coin to what extent do you think that that's going to be the realm of like the traditional sports franchise advertisers or like the Super Bowl level advertisers? Or do you think things are going to really kind of scale down to that mid-sized enterprise who has access to Amazon DSP and can start running ads on this platform? If that sort of a long yeah, it, well, it's, I think it's going to it's get both. To yeah, it's both, right? I think that's part of why it's exciting. A lot of these major you know, digital ad behemoths grow because of the mid and long tail advertisers flooding in in a big way. So this, I think, starts to open the door to a lot more of those. That may take a little time on a highly rated program. My guess is that those are right now, it's still attracting those TV advertisers and they're just having to shift over to this new environment. And that will be game changing enough. But yes, it starts to bring in a lot more mid-sized brands, D to C brands, ones who are very comfortable with measurement, but they want that branding impact. 
So it's the beginning of a big trend. But here's the thing. It's not that these capabilities in some sense don't exist today. They do. It's very fragmented. And I think sometimes you need that, you know, real landmark offering, like a highly rated, you know, TV show to prove the value and to get the attention of these major brands and look at it in a way that maybe they haven't previously. Yeah. What I've heard so far is that getting access to these placements is still more of a traditional media buy so far from the Amazon advertising sales team. But, you know, Amazon likes to move in one direction, (laughs) which is automation and like taking human beings out of the process. So I could see it moving in that direction for sure. But the, you know, the immediate opportunity for, for brands is more data, more visibility into like TV habits and interest targeting as well. I'm not sure if you saw that there's something very strange, not strange, but very interesting. I noticed on my Amazon shopping app recently, which was I was prompted to add my interests there. There was like Marvel superheroes, camping, hiking, fishing, a couple of other things, but notably absent was anything beauty related, which I thought was interesting because that's a huge area Amazon's been trying to push into. Fashion, on a CPG note, there was baking, but they're really trying to collect more interest and hobby level data. So I guess the Thursday night football is one way to collect that besides asking, prompting shoppers in the app to actually provide that information. Absolutely, right? It's an easy way to get that segment data. I'm constantly asked, are you a Chicago Bulls fan? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is yes, but I'm not going to answer that for them. Sorry, Amazon. Oh, come on, Andrew. They already know that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about offline attribution data and understanding performance there. Why do you think that this is, because this has been a huge challenge for the industry, why are you so optimistic about that changing? Well, short answer is measurement moves markets, right? The story of digital advertising really is told through measurement. It's how Google first attracted budgets. It's how Facebook attracted budgets. It's how Amazon's attracting budgets today. But that closed loop that's driving those investments is historically all online, e-commerce. Offline, right, as we just said in CPG, it's 90 or 95% of what's happening. But we're not seeing that accounted for in the ROAS equation. Now, an online ad is going to drive a higher incremental sales lift in online environment on a percentage basis, right? I don't have a lot of doubt about that, but even a more subtle effect in driving offline sales from that online exposure could represent a much bigger overall impact. If that's not even being accounted for in the equation, right? If you're a brand and you're looking at a ROAS of $4 right now, today, without understanding the impact of offline, that number could easily move up to 10 or 12. Well, let's think about what happens in that scenario. That's not out of the question at all. And you think that that's going to start to move budgets in a much more profound way? I think it is. Hmm. Yep. And the rise of in-store retail media. This is really interesting. Yeah. Stores are the new media channel. Digitization is happening in stores. You're seeing more digital screens. We're seeing different experimentation and different incarnations of it today. But we've never really thought about a store as a media channel. And I actually just worked on a project with Placer AI, and they've brought some new data to bear in the market to show what do store audiences look like for major retailers and for Walmart 
it's over 200 million. This is unique audience. Like I'm talking media measurement world, unique audience of over 200 million people a month target over a hundred million. These are far larger audiences than they're reaching on digital, which are already huge audiences. So if we start to think about that as a way to reach consumers at scale with contextually relevant messages that can drive both branding, long-term branding impacts and performance, drive sales in the store, you start to realize that you know maybe this is a new opportunity that can command large national advertising budgets. Yep, definitely very interesting. So in terms of digital and brick and mortar CPG sales, there was a you know big narrative which was disputed during the pandemic about digital sales having accelerated 10 years in one month or whatever the claim was. And oh well that's you know maybe a little aggressive. But what is your own outlook on share of digital versus brick and mortar CPG sales looking out into the future? Yeah, well, so the great acceleration in e-commerce, it's already reverted back to the pre-pandemic trend line for e-commerce as a whole. doesn't mean penetration is not increasing. It just, there's not a permanent acceleration. But we looked at it on a category by category basis. And the one area which actually continues to show signs of permanent acceleration was grocery. So that's staying above the trend line. And we expect it to keep growing at well above average rates for e-commerce overall. It's going to continue to gain share. So that is a particular bright spot, right? So part of the reason why are we worrying about the digital shelf? Because it is growing and, and there is a permanent shift here that brands need to really think about. That all said, as I mentioned, you know the majority of sales still are in brick and mortar. But I think what's underappreciated is the impact of digital on those brick and mortar sales. So it's not just about riding the growth trend in digital. It's also about understanding that there is, you know, a multiplier effect by doing digital right because of how it can impact the other 90%. Yeah, that is such a great point. And there's two things stemming off from that point to me is one is around metrics. And this was something that Bob Sled and Stradably contributed some data for your report around metrics that brands are focusing on with their digital sales, especially growth versus profitability. And something that we found in a survey that we did was a lot of brands seem to be quite confused around what their ultimate objective is. Is that around growing market share or category share or, you know, growing a new product that has recently launched versus on the business maturity curve as a company or as a product or brand, once you get past that sort of mass adoption, are you looking to harvest profitability from that product or brand? What we found was the KPIs that brands were self-reporting as being important were kind of contradictory around what their ultimate objective was. So is there something that you want to share around objectives and metrics and like, you know, what might need to change in the future for brands as there's more of a digital component to what they have traditionally done in store or through other marketing methods? Yeah. I mean, I think the headline is brands have to look at things holistically, right? And that's my bias. What's interesting, I use data that you did with Stratably about KPIs. And it was really interesting to look at the difference in how different brands evaluated or prioritized 
KPIs, depending on if they're trying to drive market share versus profitability. Now, I will say this, I'm going to reveal my bias. I'm in the market share camp. I believe that's the better approach, but I say that, you know, from, from my ivory tower, what I don't have to manage to quarterly Jeff earnings and have to drive, drive short-term <laughs> profits, right? So I totally get why brands have to manage to that, especially within a specific channel. So putting that aside though, you know, long-term market share is what's going to move the needle and that's what it's about. And the metrics that we found or that your research highlights that matter more for market share are new to brand, right? So this is a, a kind of more recent metric and KPI that really shows how can you bring new customers into the fold? So it's a great metric and that rated a lot higher on the market share segment. And then the other one was share a voice. That's one that I keep hearing about that if you're managing, you know, to share a voice, that that's really usually a pretty strong leading indicator of market share gains. And it's, you know, market share that would be expressed in e-commerce market share, but may also have an impact on that in-store market share. So I think if I'm a brand, I want to be thinking about how can I drive those metrics in order to drive long-term market share gains, which ultimately then, you know, should drop to the bottom line in, in terms of profitability. Again, there's always this kind of short-term versus long-term trade-off. Yes, 100%. So besides metrics and focusing on the right ones, what other big challenges do you sort of see for CPGs? around adapting to a digital shelf? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what works on the physical shelf isn't exactly what works on the digital shelf. It's interesting. There's a lot of parallels between the two, theoretical parallels, but where the rubber meets the road, a lot of things are different. So people tend to look at what's in front of them on the physical shelf as they browse the aisles. So the distribution matters a lot more. Online, how you browse, you search. And some people search for specific product attributes or dietary restrictions or whatever the case may be. So it's a totally different ball game. And then how you can, how you are able to surface your brand on those dimensions of how people shop digitally are very different. Yes. So it's just new and it's complex. There's a lot to deal with. How do you prioritize the terms and all this sorts of stuff? So it's just a new level of complexity. The other thing that came up was branding. They're just elements of how you present your brand on these different digital shelves that's very different. I'll just give you one quick example. In the store, right, like your brand may be known for a specific color and you want that color to be very prominent as you're on the physical shelf. You kind of have that whole block of color and people will gravitate and see you in their sight line, you know, because your brand is red. On the digital shelf, that may not work as well. The elements of creative that work maybe high contrast. So you maybe need, you know, a stark white background and right, a different pop of color or things that people gravitate to. And I think where some of the complexity comes in for the large established brands is there's a lot of approved marketing copy. You have a lot of stuff that has to go through legal. So all these other things that it takes to, you know, get something approved for the physical shelf. Now you just want to be able to take that and co-opt it and put it on the digital shelf. It's just not going to work as well. Yeah. So what are the right ways to do that without having to, you know, go through all that red tape? That is a great point. I heard I was speaking with Josh Justice, who is the um, paid media lead at the Lego Group recently, and he was talking about walking the digital store and the importance of, and especially pulling out your mobile device and scrolling through 
Amazon, looking at the search terms related to your product or brand that you're trying to rank for and doing that like virtual store walk to see how things are showing up digitally, what kind of merchandising are competitors using. One thing I've noticed a lot of recently is sponsored brand video ads and how they're showing up in the search results, particularly on mobile as you're scrolling down. There is an endless scroll. There's no page one versus page two anymore, but some of these sponsored brand video ads that are showing up are so engaging and really eye-catching. I'll share a couple of examples soon. I kind of have to do it in video form. You can't really explain it just verbally, but you can only really get a sense of best practices. And like you said, what does contrast look like in a mobile app shopping environment? You can only do that if you're doing a virtual store walk and keeping up with what's going on both within your category and competitor set, and maybe even outside of your category and competitor set to see what some innovative brands are doing in other verticals too. Yeah. And even the store walk, it's so different than the physical store. I mean, I think about how often do I actually browse? You can browse digitally by the aisle, right? In theory. I just don't think people do that. Most people search (laughs) or they'll do a broad search that takes them down maybe a narrower segment of the aisle, but they rarely kind of go into the broadest aisle like they would in the store. Right. And then even environments, when you say sponsored brand video, you're right. These are great formats. I actually find them really effective in mobile. As you said, I don't click on them as much in desktop. There's something because my thumb is already there as I'm scrolling down where I do stop on it and I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What else was surprising from this report that maybe you weren't expecting? I think one of the more revealing insights that I came away with was because I asked all these different experts about you know what's most important in terms of measurement or inventory management, product content, advertising strategies, pricing. And universally, everybody was like, well, they're all important. It's you're kind of like asking me to pick between my children. (laughs) But what did come out was really that some of them are much more aligned with getting the basics right. They're foundational and you kind of have to start there and get those right first or everything else falls apart. And then you find that you're wasting money. So measurement, like having KPIs, the right ones in place and scorecarding and making sure that you're doing the basics right is important. Inventory management, if you're out of stock, a lot of other things start to fall apart. Then, you know, you got to do product content, refreshes, make sure the visual branding is right. And then advertising, I think, is the last piece. But to me, that's really the area where brands go on offense. And that if you're doing all the other things right, and then you employ the most sophisticated advertising strategies, that's where you can really get that kind of exponential type of growth. So that, for me, just to be able to think about it in that fashion and you know how I would approach a brand to be like, make sure that you've got the foundation in place and that you're not making critical mistakes. And then once you're at that baseline level, then start to think about how do you take it to the next level? Yeah, that is so interesting. Something came to mind was, yeah, what's your Amazon advertising strategy? Well, it's staying in stock. <laughs> yeah, there is a baseline. There's table stakes involved with all of that. So Andrew, thank you for coming back on the show and giving us the overview of this report. It's called The Digital Shelf for CPG Brands 2022. We'll link up to it in the show notes. And maybe just before you go, what are you working on next? So I'm working on a retail media series that will be several thousand to 1500 word reports, diving deeper into some of the things that we talked about today. 
some of those next levers of growth for the industry. And yeah, I'm just going to be all over what's happening in retail media and trying to make sense of it. And then I'm also getting ready to ramp up my holiday 2022 coverage. So as I move out of, you know, September and early October into mid-October, I heavy up on the holiday as many of us are. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Great. Well, I'll link up to the report, as you mentioned, and where is the best place for people to follow you and the content that you're putting out? LinkedIn. If you're a subscriber to Insider Intelligence, you, you can find all my stuff behind the paywall there. But if you're not, I do try to share some of the best stuff on LinkedIn on a reasonably regular basis. Thanks again, Andrew. Talk to you soon. Thanks as always, Carrie.